Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, here's a fellow we always enjoy talking to, a great deal, Addy Goldshed down in New Zealand coming back. He's also the host of the Economic Review Podcast. Real sharp fellow. Going to talk a little economics, a little regulation today. Addy, how are you, sir? Welcome back to the program. I'm great. Uh, always a pleasure to be on with you. I really appreciate it. Let, let's start some big picture stuff because you're down in New Zealand right now. You obviously follow American economics and politics quite a bit. I want to zoom out a little bit because American press, especially when it comes to economics, gets pretty insular and they, they kind of have their narrative lanes. Give me a big picture view of what's going on globally, economically. We know, you know, of course, there's things going on with China. There's the war in Ukraine that's got everything kind of moving around, especially in sectors like uh, logistics and uh, energy and things like this. We have what's going on in Africa. Give me a couple things that you're paying attention to globally, the big stories that people are missing because we get caught up in, you know, cost of living and things like that. Not that they're not important, but sometimes we miss the force for the trees on things like economics, don't we? I think the one thing that probably an American audience would be would be most surprised by are the similarities between the American economic climate and the economic climate that the rest of the world is dealing with. So if you're if you're used to watching American media, um, you know whether whether you lean left or you're, uh, you lean right, you probably have um, in mind a couple of causes for, say, the the high inflation rate. Right? If you're if if you're on the the left, you might blame corporate greed. Um, if you're on the right, you might think this is Joe Biden's doing. You know, he shut down the the gas pipelines, and that's why gas prices are so high. But if you if you start to zoom out a little bit, you'll notice that. Europe's dealing with the same thing here in New Zealand. Uh, we're dealing with the exact same thing. We, you know, grocery prices are up, uh, gas prices are up. Joe Biden doesn't have anything to do with New Zealand, but we're dealing with all the same issues in almost exactly the same fashion um, as the United States. And I don't think that's that's uh, that experience is at all out of the ordinary. So, zooming out, I think a lot of places have been hard hit by um, supply chain issues, by the Russia-Ukraine war being fought at the at the at the epicenter of all these crucial commodities. So I, th I think there are, are quite a few um, global problems that are, are affecting the world economy and the climate and the pain that a lot of countries are feeling. And I think that it's it's very hard um, at the moment to know, you know where, where the economy is going. I think a, a lot of central banks uh, here in New Zealand and I know in the US as well have projected that they're gonna keep on raising interest rates and that you know the economic downturn is gonna continue through 2023. Um, you know, I, I have no reason to believe that's not going to be the case. And, and it seems that every every indicator so far points that that's going to be the case, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Yeah. Eddie Goldshaw joining us. What what is it different that like we've seen inflation a lot throughout history for a lot of reasons. You have countries like, you know, Turkey's having high inflation even before the current crisis because, you know, bad management, frankly. Um, the, the late forties, early fifties, we've seen it through the seventies. We saw it, of course, after world war one Germany, which was catastrophic and led to another world war in a lot of ways. Inflation isn't new. Seeing it globally everywhere all at once, that is a little bit new. Uh, we haven't seen that as much. I know the world is globally economically integrated now. How different is it that this is a global inflation? Almost all countries are feeling this a little differently, not just one or two as compared to just when one, ma even a major country like the U.S. having inflation. That changes it a little bit, and that's a little different perspective, a little bit more unique, isn't it? So I think um, the, the most fundamental um, rule in economics is supply and demand. So anytime you see prices going up, it's because either supply has gone down or demand has gone up. And in, in this case, I think for just about any country in the world, 
you can say that both of those factors have taken place at the same time. So whether it's Europe, whether it's the United States, whether it's Australia, New Zealand, wherever, I think a reality throughout the pandemic was that a lot of these economies were shut down and in, in an effort um, to, to, to stop the economy from falling into a depression, um, governments around the world did pump unprecedented amounts of money into into the economy. There was a lot of new money printing. I know in for, there, there was like a 12-month period in the U.S. where th those 12 months, um, that 40% of all U.S. dollars ever created um, were created within those 12 months. And, and and the same thing here in New Zealand, right? We had insane um, amounts of weight subsidies and, and, and un unemployment benefits, stimulus checks, all those things were reality here. Um, there were reality in Europe and everywhere else. So demand definitely went up. Um, people had more money. There was more money in the economy. And then the other side, there were definitely supply chain issues. So I think China, uh, which which manufactures a lot of a lot of the goods and services that we around the world all consume, stuck uh, for a very long time into their their zero COVID policy, uh, very very strict lockdowns, uh, very strict restrictions that did affect supply chains. Um, you know, lockdowns and 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 all sorts of other um, regulations in all, all different parts of the world did did bring the supply chain to a halt. And I think the, the effects of that are more catastrophic, uh, given how interconnected the economy is now, perhaps 200 years ago, if different parts of the world shut down, it wouldn't have, it, it wouldn't, the, the effect wouldn't have rippled through the world as it does today. Um, and, and so I think both of those factors coming together at the same time creates a perfect storm for inflation just about anywhere. Ida Gold for joining us. You just mentioned it. These are ripples. These, you know, economics. You know, a major country like China, like the U.S., when they have economic things happen, that that ship turns real, real slow, right? That's not a speedboat. That's an oil tanker. China is now apparently backing off those COVID restrictions. They they've seen what's going on. This is going to take a while to trickle through the rest of the global economy, including the supply chains, things like that. How long does it take for something like what China has done with their zero COVID policy to really come back to whatever they were doing before or to at least change from what they were doing? Are we talking months? Are we talking quarters? Are we talking years, do you think? Because we've seen in America, of course, it, you know, we're still feeling the effects of the COVID shutdowns. China was even more severe. What are you, what are you looking at economically here? Are you looking at a couple of quarters? Are you looking at a year or two? What do you think? Well, there's there's a lot of factors that that go into determining something like like an economic recovery, especially from something as severe as what we just experienced. Um, I think there's, I, I I don't think there's there's anyone in the world that can that can give you give you sort of like an exact timeline on you know six months from now everything will be back to normal. I think it depends a lot on China, the the way the Chinese government handles it. Uh, the Chinese government has a lot of fiscal policy, monetary policy tools at its disposal. Uh, I know, for for example, China keeps a, a very high uh, reserve ratio on its banks, and so cutting that reserve ratio would instantly release you know billions um, of, of yuan into circulation. And so there there are certainly certainly tools um, at at the the CCP's disposal should it should it wish to use them um, to to sort of speed up the process of economic recovery. But besides that, I think there's there's a lot of things you know the the Chinese. Um, the the property bust. I did, I did a piece on this a couple of months months ago. Um, there, there's there are some some major issues with China's property market, which which is a large part of the economy. And so if that were to go bust, that could prolong the recession for for a lot longer than than any of us can can foresee at the moment. Yeah, Eddie Goldja. Let's talk about those supply chains. You talk about supply and demand. Well, you got to get the <laughs> the supply and demand. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. 
We just had this rail strike issue in the U.S. You took a comparison to that to truck drivers. Now, there's a lot more truck drivers than rail workers, and it's a little bit different situation. But before we get into it, the core of your piece and the core of what you're talking about here is something that we've actually been debating quite a bit lately when it comes to things like the gig economy. And it's the legal definition and the economic incentives of independent contractors. This is not a new debate. This is something that's been going on for a long, long time and a lot of things. But this is one of those things where regulation and technology have kind of converged on the moment to really bring ahead on what is and isn't an independent contractor. Let's get the nomenclature right so that we're understanding what we're talking about here, especially when it comes to these truck drivers. This is an industry I work in. I know it very well. Independent contractors, it's not universally good or bad. Some folks like it. Some folks don't like it. But big businesses can abuse that terminology. Just work us through the terminology there on what independent contracting means, especially when it comes to these truck drivers. So I think in, in the conventional sense, uh, an independent contractor is somebody who, for example, think about it. If you if you hire someone to m mow your lawn, that person would be an independent contractor. They're not your employee. You don't you don't pay for their Social Security. You don't pay for workers benefits. You don't pay FICA, any of those things. They're independent. Uh, they do a job for you. They they tip, you know, they work on their own schedule. All, all those things um that that's what makes someone independent and and most importantly of all they're not they're not exclusively your employee they they can go and mow my neighbor's lawns and, and 10 other lawns as well and so i think that 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 sort of um that's typically what we think of when we think of an independent contractor and they're usually responsible for paying for their own expenses they're responsible for paying for their own taxes and everything else um and on the other hand an employee is what what most people you know call call are classified as in their jobs so you know if you if you work at at walmart for example then you would be an employee you work exclusively for one company you wear the walmart uniform you work during the hours and, and in the manner specified by walmart you know you you work for you're you're an employee of a company and, and all all the sort of characteristics of that in the u.s i think um that that distinction at times gets gets very very muddy because a contract can overpower everything. So, um, you know, in the in the context of truck driving, uh, a trucking company can make its its workers operate exactly like an employee. For example, you know, uh, you'll see the FedEx trucks, you'll see Amazon trucks. The people driving the them are wearing FedEx uniforms. They're wearing Amazon uniforms. They're working for that company um, exclusively. They're using. The, the company's trucks, they're working on the hours, the routes, the timings, everything is specified by the company. They have no discretion over how they do their jobs, when they do their jobs, and yet they're classified as independent contractors. Why? Because it says so on their contract that they signed. And I, I think um, what myself and a, a lot of other people would argue for is that there should be some actual meaning. The, 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 the term independent contractor and employee should actually mean something beyond, I signed a piece of paper and that's the only difference. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
Yeah, Eddie Gold for joining us. Now, truck driving, where this really gets sticky, especially when it comes to those bigger companies that you're talking about, there's a difference between independent contractors and trucking because you have owner-operators, which is exactly what it sounds like. They own their own truck, they own their own equipment, and then they take runs, just like a freelance rider, like an Uber driver. They take clients or runs or contracts to go and do their stuff, but they own all their stuff. Where this gets a little predatory, in my opinion, but it can be good for certain individuals, again, this isn't university, is the lease owner operators. And that's where this really starts getting sticky and icky. And you started touching on that on your piece. And this is really where the legislation is nonspecific, but it really, really has to be. And it's really important for these workers. And it's really important for the economy because we saw like in California with the port situation where they didn't do a carve out for those lease owner operators. Regulation just about wiped them out in one fell swoop just because of the language of legislation. Talk about that for a second, because that's one of those little points of minutia people don't talk about, but it had massive effects. Yeah, so I think the the fundamentals with the, the lease purchase model, um, do you lease a truck from the trucking company? So essentially, you know, like just like you would lease a car, um, you, you pay them a fee to lease the truck. You are then responsible for all the expenses that go along with the, the with maintenance. So you know, oil changes, um, that kind of thing. Um, you're responsible for for gas, any any other expenses related to the truck, really. And basically, you you get paid a fee for every load that you deliver. Um, and, and so you're you're sort of an an owner operator in that way. Um, the truck's not really yours. You can't take the truck home. Um, you can't use the truck for your own, you know, you can't, you can't use the truck to drive for five different trucking companies. And, you know, you can't, you, you don't have any of the flexibility that you would, you would assume that someone who is just, you know, who had a truck and was just driving, um, you know, carrying loads that they wanted to. There, there are certainly, certainly people that do, do truly have that kind of discretion, but more often than not, it's, it's, you know, a trucker working exactly like you would expect any other trucker to, or you would expect any other employee to be functioning it's just, you know, they're not getting any of the same benefits. They're not getting any of the protections that an employee gets. And and sometimes that situation gets so bad um, that at the end of the week, you can work a full grueling week, 60, 70 hours driving trucks as a, as a quasi owner operator um, in a lease purchase program. And at the end of the week, you you owe your company money because something went wrong with your truck or, you know, there was an unexpected expense or whatever. Uh, all, all these things are, are sort of really a really, really predatory cycle. Yeah, Eddie Gulch is joining us. This is being reflected in the trucker shortage in America. Uh, there was a couple things happened at once. Once is the, the logistics in America exploded with things like Amazon and small package delivery. It just changed how the industry runs. The second thing that happened is all the baby boomers retired, like we saw in a whole lot of other industries. A lot of those guys have been working 20, 30 years. They all retired in the same kind of 10 to 15 year window. It's those younger generation of drivers coming in that are susceptible to things like the lease model operators because, you know, they, the older guys, you know, they had some income saved up. They had, you know, means to do things like that. So they use those stats and show those stats to the young guys, but then they make them lease the equipment. That feels predatory to me. I know it's predatory. I worked in the industry some. I don't know that there's a nice, clean regulatory cure to that, though. I think some of that, though, is opening up more options for these drivers to have other regulatory options into an industry like trucking. But, and you touched in it on your piece, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, that is like its own world. It's a Byzantine regulation. Talk about it because I don't know that folks realize the trucking industry and the freight movement industry in America is one of the most regulated things, and it's not exactly efficiently regulated at that. 
So I think there's there's a lot of technicalities with how this industry is regulated. Uh, I think one of the, the key aspects of it is that there are, for example, there's limitations on how long a, a trucker can drive. Um, the, that's that's probably the main one. Um, but then 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 what what tends to happen is that what companies will do is they'll say, okay, well, if you can only drive, let's say, twelve hours a day, um, then what we're going to schedule exactly when you have to drive those twelve hours, and that can be, let's say, from midnight all the way through to noon. And if you didn't sleep during the day, if you don't feel safe to drive, whatever it may be, um, you still have to drive during those hours. So so it, it's it might seem like a good idea in in theory to say. We're going to mandate that you can only drive this many hours a day, um, but what it ends up doing is encouraging a, schedule, a, a system where uh, of rigid scheduling, and that's not always always a, a great idea in an industry where you know you want safety to be paramount. You want drivers to be able to make common sense uh, individual decisions uh, surrounding when they feel safe to drive, when they feel too tired to drive, um, you know, and, and exactly when when they feel at their at their best and most safe. This brings us back to where we started with the big picture economics, though. Incentives. How much is it? Let me rephrase it. How important is it for us? The average person doesn't know a lot about economics when we're trying to sort through all the graphs and all the data and all the numbers and the big ticket items to keep in mind that a lot of this is incentives driven. That's really a, a singular point in economics that is a little bit easier for folks like me to understand that doesn't know all the ins and outs, but it drives almost all this economic news. How important is it to focus on things like incentives when we're trying to discern economic news, whether it's big picture like the world economy or in a specific industry like this? We have to, you you, you sort of got it, um, right? Um, there's there's a, what economists would call a lemons problem in, in this industry where there's, there's a, an asymmetry of information between the people who are signing up for these lease purchase programs or these independent contractor programs and, and what the companies are selling them. So the companies are well aware that this, this is something that you know 90 plus percent of drivers are n- never gonna turn a profit on. This is something without a, a financially viable exit path. This is something that is gonna turn into a nightmare for the, the vast, vast majority of people who sign up for it. But it's still sold as dream. It's sold as you know own your future, be your own boss. All, all these ads that I'm sure um, many of you will have seen and and it's it's if if you're unsuspecting you don't know too much about the industry you're looking to um you know you're you're looking to make a living in the trucking industry if you know you come from an area where trucking is ha- has this perception of being a, a solid blue collar job then then perhaps you'll 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 look at that ad and say that sounds good um let me sign up for it let me give it a shot um you know risk free um what have i got to lose and and all of a sudden you can find um, in, in a couple of months, you've lost your house. You've you've lost everything you have. You have no way to get out of this, and you were sold a, a false bill of goods, basically. And there's there's an asymmetry of information, and so I think the incentive structure at the moment is 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 there, there's nothing to stop um, trucking companies basically from from lying through their teeth and, and selling a false false stream to to unsuspecting truckers, um, and and so if we if we do want to fix the incentive structure. 
um, it, it's not it's not some sort of um, you know very technical, very complicated problem. This is something that I, I wrap up the piece with um, is make their make sorry provide for a concrete distinction between independent contractors and employees. And this is something that we we do here in New Zealand. This is something that Canada does. Your your neighbor to the north. This is something that the UK does. There's a, a several point test to determine. Um, whether a trucker is an independent contractor or whether or not they're an employee. And so those there there could be like, for example, you know, do you work exclusively for one company? Do you have any discretion over the hours that you work? Do you have any discretion over the routes? Um, do you have any discretion over what days you work? And if there if, if the answer to all of those points is no, then you have to be classified as an employee. You have to be given all the protections and benefits of an employee. If you get injured, they have to, you know, you're you're entitled to to worker protections. Um, you know, if that your company should have to pay for social security, FICA, all the expenses. They can't dump all these things on you. You should be entitled to a minimum hourly wage. Um, all, all of those things that employees get, all the protections that they have um, should apply to you if you function as an employee. And if you're truly an independent contractor and that, that model is working well for you, you're happy with it, you're making money, then there's no reason you shouldn't be able to continue as an independent contractor. You just actually have to be one, not just what a piece of paper says. Yeah, Eddie Gulcha. And the reason we keep bringing this up, and we touched on it a minute ago, but I wanted to reiterate it. Yeah, that's trucking. People are like, oh, well, that's truck drivers. We've got the data on the gig economy and how it's exploding. This independent contractor, what it is, what it isn't, who should have protections. Not all independent contractors want those protections because they want their independence. Getting some kind of legal definitions of these things is going to be really important because the gig economy isn't going to get any smaller. This independent contractor debate is going to continue. And if you're going to have economic viability, this is an area where regulation can really, really strangle uh, the growth and the technology and the, quite frankly, the revolution in labor and people having some say in their own labor here, but still protecting people. This is a debate that's going to go on and it's going to kind of change how we do labor economics in the future, isn't it? So I think you, you touched on a very important point there, which is the, the potential of overregulation to kill innovation. And that's that's a big danger. And you know, I, I'm I'm as much of a free market proponent as as the next guy. You know, I, I came up reading Milton Friedman and 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 Hayek and and all those guys. And so, you know, I'm I'm 99 times out of 100, I'm a proponent of of deregulation and pushing for as much deregulation as possible, so we can make way for innovation, so we don't stifle growth, um, and, and all the all the the cool technologies that make our lives so much better today than there were 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Um, that being said, um, you know, with with the rise of the gig economy, I, I think, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to stifle. I wouldn't want a situation where, you know, we're suddenly classifying Uber drivers as employees. We're classifying, you know, any any type of, you know, workers on Fiverr as as employees and making, you know, you know, and, and putting America in a position where, you know, all the, these worker protections are stifling those industries to the point where the gig economy completely collapses in on itself and becomes you know, basically impractical. Um, that's that's why I would be in favor of a, a, a test, right? So uh, an Uber driver isn't isn't an employee. They can choose when they want to drive. Um, they can choose whether or not they want to work today or tomorrow or the day after. They they have all these choices. They have all this discretion. Um, they can work for for another company. They can be gig employees for fifty different um, you know Uber or similar similar platforms. And so in that case, they truly are independent contractors. Um, so so yeah, I, I think there is a a, a common sense way to do this that most developed countries around the world have already done that doesn't stifle uh, innovation, that doesn't stifle growth, but that does protect employees. And it doesn't have to be very complicated.
Yeah, Eddie Gold here. Economics is complicated, though. That's why we bring folks like you on to explain them to people like me who doesn't understand them all that well. Give me one or two things you're watching that's going on right now that you're kind of paying attention to. Is it the inflation stuff? Is it a China or the war in Ukraine? What's a couple of things you're really paying attention to for not right now, but maybe the first of the year, the next couple of months, the next quarter, things you're trying to stay ahead of news wise or you're watching for in the headlines that we can be watching out for as well? So I think the one thing that I'm I'm keeping a lookout for is the the Fed's projections of where the interest rate is going. I think that they they typically and and you know if you're not in the U.S. if you're you're most anywhere in the world the central bank your central bank will probably be issuing predictions on where they forecast the interest rate is going to be in the next six months or or year or however far out um, your central bank issues predictions. And so I think that's one thing to keep an eye on because those do change. Um, they they not only predict um, or they not only issue forecasts for how far it's going to rise, but also when they expect the interest rates to start falling again. And so, if you're, for example, looking to buy a house, um, you you want to know where where the economic climate is going. I think that's that's sort of a a really good way to keep track of of what's going to happen in the next year or two. I think the the other key thing to keep keep track of is um, unemployment statistics. Um, you know, there there was in in most countries around the world a severe labor shortage. Um, you know, a lot a lot more job openings than there were than there were workers. Um, I, I know in New Zealand, for for every unemployed person, um, there were two job openings. So that's that's how dire the worker shortage um, is here. And so I think one thing I will be keeping very close a very close eye on is what is the employment uh, what are the unemployment statistics looking like? Is the economy returning to full employment? Um, and, and that that typically is a, a good sign that you know we're, we're in recovery mode yeah eddie Goldshire, always appreciate the conversation you bring good insight uh we'll be talking to you again my friend but until we get you back again uh let folks know what you've got going on where they can keep up with you where they can follow you until we get a chance to chat again so if you like podcasts uh you can find my podcast it's called the economics review um you can follow me on instagram at economics review um or on twitter at adi Goldshire. Yep, Eddie Goldshin, another one of our great young voices contributor. He's down in New Zealand. Sharp fellow, follow him. We'll definitely have you back, my friend. Thank you so much for the time today. Absolutely, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. 
You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.